0: back.
1: free to worship God in this house and this space God, our Father, we give you thanks. All honor and glory belong to you, God. This is your place, and this is your space, and we all come congregated in this room to give you glory and to give you praise all from all walks of life, Lord God, from all sorts of places and spaces, but we come together with one common goal in mind, and that's to be in your presence, God. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord God, that hands are raised and hearts are lifted, and Lord God, and that, that we're bowed in submission to you, God. Now, we honor you, oh God. You are the guest of honor in this place. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We give you praise and we give you thanks. And honor thy Lord, I ask that you move us out of the way, that they hear not my voice, but Lord, use my vocal cords as an instrument for your word. For it is your word, Lord God, that gives life. It is your word that breathes life. It is your word that changes and sets free. It is your word that delivers. Now move by the power of your word and your spirit, God. Touch somebody who needs it, God. Touch somebody who's looking, God. Touch somebody who's seeking, God. Help them to find you, Lord God. And we'll be careful to give you the pray, then the matchless and the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Somebody give God a hand, clap, a break. Be the
2: glory. You can go down, guys. To God. Be the glory. Oh. To God.
1: your hands and give god praise and welcome those who are online today lord jesus Hallelujah. i'm so grateful to be back with you this sunday as we were out last week at our regional convention and God did a mighty work and he showed up in a mighty way but I want to thank all of you who were here who helped Lord God and show love to our family and our bereaved family uh, for the passing of mother Mabel Evans and for those of you uh, Turhan sent me a picture uh, yeah I got I have a spy I didn't tell him the spy but he did it for me it's so grateful to see that everybody who came even though the pastor wasn't here that's an awesome thing that you love God more than you love a person you love God more than you love a building and you you come in devotion to God. I thank you for that. But be it as it may, as well as the time we had with all the hundreds or thousands, however many people there were, and join God together, there's no place like home. Somebody said, there's no place like home. No place home. Feel the spirit of God in this place. And I don't know if you, if you realize it, but God is in this building. Can you feel the presence of God in this building? Amen. Hallelujah. I put something up on the Facebook post that said, uh, what can I do To make sure that tomorrow is the best service that it could be. And some of you did that. Some of you prayed. Some of you came with a mind of expectation. And we're so grateful for what God is doing in the building. A lot of good things going forth. And we're going to go forth in the word. Word God has blessed us. uh, And we're getting ready to go into the word of God. Uh, In the next three weeks, God is going to be working. And we will probably be doing a project our progress in about three weeks. You'll see a lot of construction going on as we uh, are growing and our sound booth needs to grow. I don't think it's grown in about 20 or 30 years and we don't have enough room for the equipment that we have. Uh, So in about three weeks, we're gonna start a project. You'll see that stuff after service torn down. uh, And uh, within a week's time, it will be built back again in a a, a bigger space. You can give God a hand clap of praise for that. (laughs) You're a generous church, and if you'd like to give toward that project, uh, you're welcome to do that or whatever or ever the case may be as we get ready to expand and do more things. We don't stay static. We are dynamic. We're living, we're moving, breathing body. We don't stay the same. Uh, if, if you start to stay the same, you're either going one of two ways. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. You're either living or you're dying. We cannot stay the same. Everybody say, don't stay the same. We have to move. We have to progress. We have to continue uh, for the generations to come. Uh, The word from the Lord, our 13th part of this Romans series. You guys, has Romans been blessing you any? It's been blessing me a whole lot. Uh, If we could stand for the reading of the word of our God, it's going to be in the NIV version this time. Romans chapter six, starting at 15 through 23. Romans chapter 16, Romans chapter 6, rather, 15 through 23, and we'll read it together. What does it say? I have an old NIV version, so if I skip a word, you guys just keep reading. As you can see, this is my second or third one. My kids are trying to get me to throw this away, uh, but a Bible that's (laughs) falling apart uh, represents a life that isn't, so that's okay. They try to take my Bible, and I hide it, so they can't get to it. Uh, (laughs) Romans... Uh, chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. If this is your first time, everybody shout out welcome, real quick. Welcome. Just know that you're welcome in your family, and we're glad to have you today. Uh, let's read. What does it say? What then shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin. I want us to read that good. I want you to change that U to I. Everybody say it. I have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But what benefit did you reap at that time? From the things you are now ashamed of. Those things result in what? death let's read these two last couple real loud because I want this to be where we hang our hat today let's read it but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God the benefits you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Lord, speaks your servants. Listen, and we'll be careful to give you all the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you about this subject today. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm all in. I'm all in. Brothers and sisters, Paul is very good at telling us um, the why. And not just the why, but the what. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Um, Paul doesn't just tell you what to do, but he's a good teacher. Paul tells you why you need to do it. You'll see as we go through Romans, and for those of you who are ahead of us in the study, which helps our preaching, which helps us to be edified and bring out what the word has given, um, that Paul spends a lot of time telling you why. It's important for Christians to know why. Everybody say why. Why? It's one thing to be saved, but it's another thing to know why you're saved. It's one thing to be saved, but it's another thing to know why it's necessary. Why is that important? Because we have to reach out to other people to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we are not aware of his salvific plan for us, we won't be able to share it with other people. We need to have a wonderful cognitive grasp of what God has done down in our mind and also as well beyond the cognitive down in our spirit. We need to know what God has done and why he has done it, and Paul is very good in telling us not just what he has done, but why he has done it, and to be honest, most humans, why we do something matters just as much as what we're doing. We often look to speakers, which we call motivational speakers and life coaches, and why do we look to them? Because they give us motivation to go forward, because they don't just give us the what, they give us the why, and the why inspires us to do the what because I want this why am I going to do this why am I going to get up and go to the gym in the morning why because the what is I want to lose weight and it'll be healthy for me that's why why am I going to discipline myself and read an hour a day because I want to be more intellectually astute that's why why am I going to pray every day because I want my spirit man to grow just as much as my intellectual man the why informs the what and Paul is giving us a why and a what and he He's repeating a theme here that there is freedom from the law, that just because there is freedom from the law, we don't have a license to sin. Just because you are saved by grace through faith, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. It does not give us license to do whatever we want to do. I've said this, and I'm going to say it until it gets down to in our spirit. Everybody repeat after me. Grace Grace. is for just in case. Not just because. Grace is just it's not just for 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 us just because it's there and we can abuse it and abuse the grace of God. But Paul answers the question. He says, shall we continue, therefore, in sin that grace abound? God forbid just because God will forgive me does not mean that I need to live in my sins, because although you might be saved from the penalty of your sin, you might be punished by some of the things that your sin produces and although God may have forgiven you you might have to reap some of the consequences in the natural realm of some of the and some of the ramifications of our action and he is letting us know what happened at the cross why is he letting us know what happened at the cross because what is the why in this instance why am I sitting here why am I doing what I'm doing why am I speaking to you today it, the, my why is tied up in my what the reason why I'm doing this is because of what he did on Calvary. (laughs) Why am I standing here hoping that you will listen to these words of truth? Why am I standing here and not on the street corner? Why am I standing here and not doing something that is not beneficial to me? It's simply because of what he did for me on Calvary and his what determines my why. Paul repeats this theme and he lets us know that our obedience and servitude will ultimately go to the person to which we have chosen or chosen rather to follow. That person that we follow as a mentor or life coach. In other words, we submit our will to their instruction and to their training. We do this because we are pleased with the results that we will receive from following them. You don't follow a personal trainer that's 600 pounds. That's probably not who you train. You don't go to a financial advisor who is broke. You don't do that. You don't get marriage counseling from somebody who's been divorced 15 times. You go to somebody who's had a proven track record of staying in marriage through the highs and the lows. You listen to them because you submit yourself to their will and their advice. They are imposing their will on you. How? Because they are saying in order for you to get better, you've got to do sit-ups today or read this or do this or that. And we submit and subject ourselves to those things. Why do we submit and subject ourselves to those things? Because we know they are where we want to be. And if we submit ourselves, we will. We may not be pleased with the process, but we'll be pleased with the payoff. There are many things that people don't achieve, not because they don't have the capacity to achieve them, but simply because they don't have the tenacity to achieve them. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean they could do it, but they give up too soon because it seems too hard to them. Some people could be more spiritually uh, full than they are, but they didn't do what you did this morning. For some reason, you found the, the ability to get up out of the bed on a Sunday morning and get dressed. And find your way down to the house of God, and they just couldn't seem to do that this morning. So you get a benefit and a result that they don't get because you get to hear whatever God has here. Yes, they can listen to it online, but you can't duplicate what's happening in this building online. I feel the presence of God in this building. And watching, watching television and watching church online is great. We're glad for those who can't make it. Some of us can't be here today. We have some that are out that will watch it online. But watching television online or watching church online is akin to watching a fireplace online. You can see the fire, but you can't feel the heat. (laughs) You can see what's going on. But there's something that you're missing because you're not there. And Paul is letting us know today, he's letting us know that if we want to be pleased with our results, we have to go through a process. And so our Christian journey and salvation must be guided by one powerful question. By whom do you wish to be led? Whom do you wish to be led? I know you think that you live in the land of the free and the home of the brave and you're autonomous and you do whatever you're big and bad enough and bold enough to do. But the Bible tells us that you really don't, because either you are a slave to Christ or you are a slave to sin which means that you're not going to do anything under your own volition. So if you want to live according to how God wants you to live, because he's taken all of the work out of it and you don't have to work for your salvation, we don't work to get saved, we work because we are saved, I have to ask myself a question every day during my sanctification process, by whom do I wish to be led? Everybody say that to yourself. By whom do I wish? finish to be led that's a powerful question if I want to be led by God I find my way here on Wednesday night if I can if, unless I'm working on something if I wish to be led by my flesh I do what's convenient if I if I wish to, to have a better marriage I work on getting counseling and praying and building up my spirit so that I can be better with my spouse if I want to be led by my flesh I do whatever feels right and I get the result of it how do I become led by the right thing Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 through 18 gives us the answer we'll read it together if they have it on the screen Galatians 6 uh, 5 16 through 18 and it says this let's read it together what does it say so I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So if you're led by your flesh, you continue to try to make yourself right with God. You try to be the pastor's pet or the church's pet, and you try to win over God by performance, which can't be done. But when you're led by the Spirit, you do some of the same things, but your motivating factor is a different factor. Paul tells us that we must walk or choose to live according to how we want to be led. We must choose to live allowing ourselves to be led by the things that are produced by the Spirit. Well, what is produced by the Spirit? Pastor, I'm glad you asked. If you go a little bit further down in Galatians chapter 5, verses 20 through 23, what does it say? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against such there is no law. Paul is giving us a theme. He's letting you know that you are no longer under the law. There is nothing wrong with the law. The law is right. The law is holy. The law is pure. But you cannot depend on the law for your goodness because the law exposes that you are not good. So the only way you live the way you want to live is you have to depend on the spirit of God. You can go and try to be as good as You want to be and do all the things that you want to do, but these are the things that you need to know. Life coaches are good, counselors are good, but the number one thing you need to change your life is look at your neighbor and say, You need to be saved. (laughs) Because if you're not saved, you can't change because you need a new resident on the inside. What Paul said, and now that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives on the inside of you. And it will quicken, he will quicken your mortal bodies. He will give you life. Some of the reason that many people are in the church and not able to attain what God wants them to attain is not because of the war of the flesh and the spirit, because that war will rage on for the rest of your life. It is simply because they don't realize they're not saved. Everybody said they lost in the house. <laughs> See, they, they thought that salvation meant that I just live any kind of way I want and I just use Jesus for fire insurance, but I don't want him to be the curiosity. I don't want him to be the Lord of my life. If God can't be all in your life, he won't be anything in your life. You don't get to live how you want to live and live the way you would do the things that you want to do. When you are going to be saved, lordship, we talked about that in Bible study. We talked Jesus, Lord, that word is kurios. It means that he is the controller. In other words, that I completely give up ownership of my life and the bondage to sin and I submit to Christ, which means I no longer do what I want to do. I do what God wants me to do. I submit my will to his come here Paul I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I it's not I that live but Christ that lives in me and the life I now live I live by faith in the son of God Paul tells us this, and he's letting us know that if we're going to attain what God wants us to attain beyond just mere salvation, now that we've been saved, we are called to walk wholeheartedly. Everybody say, wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly in what we're doing, verse 17 of chapter 6 says, but thanks be to God that you used to be slaves to sin. But thanks be to God, I'm going to read that again, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. I have a question for you this morning. What does it mean to love God with all your heart? We have song, tons of songs Christendom that say I love Jesus uh, uh, with all my heart and, and and all my soul. And I think many times we get it twisted because in our American vernacular, there's one word for love. In the Greek word uh, vernacular, that's five words for love. So we will say, I love my wife, but then you'll turn around and say, I love my cat or my dog. Those two are not the same. They're not, that's not the same type of love. There are different types of love. And the type of love that we equate to God most times is emotional love. It's emotional love and we say I love you because you make me feel good and when you don't make me feel good I want a divorce because you don't make me feel good anymore. That's an Eros type of love but the love God is talking about is a love called agape and agape is the only type of love that is actually divorced from feelings. It means that my response has nothing to do with how I'm feeling. I I, I know that because I watch my mother sometime Would she be upset with somebody and still serve them? Although she was upset, she was still serving. She was doing the right thing even though she felt like doing the wrong thing. She was talking to them nice even though she didn't feel like doing it nice. Being in agape love means that you have a submitted response to Christ. That means that you are responding according to how he says that you should respond to him. Many of us say we love Jesus, but we don't love him. We in love with him. (laughs) We in love with the idea. Who wouldn't be in love at the idea that all I have to do is raise my hands, pray a prayer, and all of a sudden now I get to go to heaven when I die. But this is what real love means. Everybody say total Total. surrender. Surrender. Say it again. "Total Total surrender. Now, hold your hands up like this and say, total surrender. Somebody laughing because they've had the police make them do that before. (laughs) Put your hands up. Why? Because I'm letting you know I'm giving up total what? Surrender. (laughs) Somebody just got a fastback, but that's okay. (laughs) But what that means is total Surrender. And that's what we're supposed to do with Jesus. He doesn't want you just to come to him to be a fireman. He doesn't want to just be your savior. He won't be your savior unless he can be your lord. You can't. Jesus is not a la carte. You don't get to pick the parts that you want and throw away the parts that you don't. Jesus is not like a Piccadilly's or a buffet. You have to take him all or none. You don't get to say, I want salvation, but I'm going to keep shacking. You don't get to say, I want salvation, but I'm still going to keep being promiscuous. You don't get to say, I want salvation, but I'm not going to change. I want salvation, but I'm going to keep sinning. Either you're going to have all of him or none of him. There is no in between. (laughs) Because a call to follow Jesus is a call to holiness. It means a complete and total surrender to the word and the spirit of God. He tells the Roman church that you have wholeheartedly submitted to the word and the spirit, that gospel that you have received. And as humans, I know we falter. As humans, sometimes we mess up. But as my old spiritual father used to say, there's a difference between weak. Everybody said there's a difference. Between weak and wicked. <laughs> what do you mean, Pastor? You mess up and do the wrong thing one time, that's weak. You keep doing it, that's wicked. <laughs> you mess up where you wasn't supposed to be and it's late and you didn't tell him to go home, that might be weak. He moves in or she moves in with you, that's what? Wicked. Mm. Don't get quiet now. Keep keep saying amen. This is this is an amen sermon, isn't it? Keep saying Amen. <laughs> If you can't say amen, you know what to do. Say (laughs) ouch. There's a difference between weak and wicked. And Paul is letting them know that if you're going to live for Christ, it takes total surrender. As humans, we falter, but our ultimate life thesis should be this. This is what we should be basing our lives off of. It's to please Him and to know Him. Paul says it this way Oh, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. But Paul didn't just say, I want the good stuff, but he also said, I want to know him and the fellowship of his suffering. I don't want just the good parts, but I want the parts that are a little tough to bear because I don't want anything in me to keep me away from Jesus. I don't want anything in me to keep my fellowship disconnected. (laughs) Oh, that I may know him. They are submitted. He tells them they are submitted because they submitted to teaching. Everybody says submit to teaching. I have a PowerPoint for you. You're going to talk with me a lot today because I want you to repeat this after me. If I cannot be taught, I cannot be led. Oh, they got it on the screen already. They're they doing the thing back there today. They're doing good. Give them a hand back there. That's something... That I need to know. That's why people hop from church to church because they're in the church, but the church isn't in them and they are not really saved in many cases because they're fine until the preacher starts talking about what they're doing and then they want to go. Why? Because they can't be taught. And if they can't be taught, they uh, go to where they can be In other words, I go to the preacher or to the pastor of the church that tells me I can live how I want to live. I can do what I want to do. I can say what I want to say. There are no repercussions for my actions. And since I'm going to heaven, don't worry about it anyway. But I want you to know you need to be in a place, not online, but you need to be a place where you have a literal pastor that can hold you accountable, that can love you and look at you and say, I see you in your mess and you need to come on out of that. Some of you in here have had the, had the good fortune for me to pull your chain, and not and nobody ever knows I pull your chain. But to come to you and say, I see what you're doing, and that needs to stop, and that needs to stop right now. And, and you, can, you have the right, who am I? You have the right to get up and leave. You grown, but that means that you are not of this fold, because if you cannot be taught, you cannot be led. And if you cannot be led, you will never get to where you need to go. I don't do it in an arrogant or proud or mean way, but when I do it, it's in a loving way. And if it's not me, you need somebody in your life to be able to pull your chain and say, hey, this is not good for you. This is not godly. This is not the way you need to walk. They are submitted to teaching. And I want you to know this. A teachable spirit is vital for spiritual maturity. Everybody say a teachable spirit. If you don't have a teachable spirit, you won't grow and you will not mature. You'll be in the same place as you always were. And you treat the word of God like a box of peanuts. You listen to the stuff the pastor said that you like and you throw away the stuff that you don't. But if you cannot be taught, you will not be led and you will not get where you're ultimately designed to be. To be a student of the word is liberated. You don't need me to be a student of the word. All you need is a few pages with the word of God on them or on your cell phone, however you want to do it. I'm new school. I got the Bible here, but there's just something about the pages of this book. I'm a little old school sometimes and I just like to read through it. And I don't read it to read other people. I read it and then I let it read me. See, that's how you know when you're growing, when you start reading the Bible, but the Bible starts reading you. When the Bible starts getting in your business and messing with you. I myself am on a personal journey and a commitment to know him more and deeper and in a more clear way. We never arrive. None of us ever are at the point where we get to stop. Until you leave this earth, you will be continually on a path to get closer and closer to Jesus. You might look at somebody maybe closer to the finish line, but don't stop walking. Don't stop running. Don't look at somebody else. Run your race. I myself am on that personal commitment because I want to know Christ in a deeper way. And the more we learn of him with pure motives, and uh, I need to put that there because some people learn of him, but that's not what the motive with not pure motives. The richer our le- relationships become. You see, waving our hands is wonderful. I love it when I come out. Sometimes I can't even look because we're worshiping, we're playing, and there's so much going on during the service. I can't see the hands, but I'm amazed as I stand up and see all the submitted hands and hearts uh, waving and waving, and your hands is good. Those things are good. They are wonderful. Giving God praise, I would argue, is even necessary, but pull up the next PowerPoint. I want them to read that on the screen. I wonder if they can read that together. Waving your hands is good, but I want you to know this. Surrender. uh, Oh, let's read it together. They got it. Let's read it together. Surrender and obedience are our ultimate and most pronounced and convincing acts of worship. Wave your hands. It makes for a lively service. (laughs) Jump and shout if you want to. Cry if you want to. Emotion is good, but this is the problem. Sometimes now all we have in church is emotion and no submission. You need them both. Surrender and obedience are the ultimate and most pronounced convincing acts of worship. Not how much you give, not how much you show up, but is your heart truly submitted to Christ? Because if your heart is truly submitted to Christ, he'll take care of the rest of it. Pastor, I need you to prove that to me in Scripture. That didn't sit real well with me. I, I don't agree with you, Pastor. Well, that's fine. You don't have to agree. Somebody pull up John. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 16. Like LeVar Burton would say when I was young and reading Rainbow, you don't have to take my word for it. We're going to read the words of Jesus. John chapter 14, Verses 15 through 16, Jesus tells you how to love him. He tells you his love language. He tells you how he wants to be loved. We don't have to guess how Jesus wants to be loved. He tells his disciples, and we can follow it. What does it say? If you love me, keep my commands. That's how I show that I love him. I do what he asked me to do. He saved me and I don't have to do anything. (laughs) So how do I express my love? I do what he, everybody say I do what he asked me to do. And this is important. How do I do what he asked me to do? Where do I get the power to do what he asked me to do? That's the next sentence. What does it say? And I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. He gives us Holy Spirit to be in us, to empower us, to live the way he's calling us to live. This is how we show true worship to God. I'm a big proponent of worship. I'm a big proponent of good music. We got great music. Terhun's one of the most gifted musicians I've ever seen. Haley's a great drummer, and I'm happy to hop on in with them with with my little piece of gift. But at the same time, and I want to add more as we grow, but here's the thing. This is what God really seeks. It doesn't matter if the music is good. It doesn't matter if the praise team sounds good. If your heart's not submitted, you are wasting your time. You're just on a good sounding train to hell. Oh, wow. Lord, I didn't want to say that. (laughs) But I guess somebody needed to hear that. Mm -hmm. You're looking good and you're looking nice, but if you're not submitted to Christ and you haven't really submitted to him to save you, you're just looking good on your way to hell. You are literally casket sharp because the wages of sin is death. I'm not going to drag you down right there, but at the same time, we need to hear that. What does God really want for worship? It's great that you showed up. It does my heart that you you did good. But pull up Psalms chapter 51, verses 16 through 17. Let's see what David tells us that God wants for his worship. And even in the Old Testament, we see this. What does it say? <laughs> You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. God will not despise. Oh Jesus. Let me put it in modern 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 terms cuz we don't we don't cut bulls and goats. <laughs> you don't delight and nice keyboards and nice amps and nice praise teams. You don't delight in nice drums and lights and all that stuff. You don't delight in that. that that's just stuff for us. That helps us to enhance the worship experience and if you don't like it, you need to read Revelations because there's lights and lightning and flashing and smoke and all that stuff's in heaven so you might as well get to it. Uh, get used to it right now. Don't get stuck in your ways and try to try to make a new theology but I'm not getting off on that tangent. God, However you want to worship God but God is not looking for those things. He's looking for a broken submitted heart and a contrite spirit. He's looking for us to get pride out of our life. He's looking for us to stop saying, it's my life, and I do with it what I want to. He's looking for when somebody who loves you and reading the word, and you're reading the word, and says, hey, you're getting a little bit out of line with the word, not because you're obeying them, but because you're obeying the word of God, and you can see it for yourself. You don't say, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to live how I want to live. God says, I seek a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And when I realize that I'm not in line with the will and the word of God, my heart is broken. David wrote this psalm after he had taken Uriah's wife. He wrote this psalm after he had been a peeping tom and derelict in his duty and had a conspiracy to commit murder. I don't know how much better that get. He stood on the rooftop when he was supposed to be out dying with his, with his people and fighting. Instead of that, he let them die. He stood on the rooftop watching another man's wife take a bath. And after that, he could have went inside and leave. But no, he conspires, takes the man's wife. He takes the man's wife, takes her to his house, impregnates her. And to cover it up, he had the man come back from the front line. And although David doesn't have enough integrity not to sleep with the man's wife, the man won't sleep with his own wife. He says, why would I even come in and enjoy the pleasures of my wife when men are on the battlefield dying? He sleeps at the door of the gate. He's that honorable. And this is what David is doing to him. And so since he's honorable and nice, David rewards him by giving him a letter to take back to the front lines. And that letter says, put Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the hottest. And when the battle gets real hot, back up from him so he'll be killed. So he could cover up the fact (laughs) that he took his wife. And when he's killed, he thinks he gets away with it. But the prophet comes to him and says, I have a prophecy for you. I have a story for you, David. A man, he has has a bunch of sheep, and he had all the sheep he could ever want. But he saw a man who only had one sheep, and he took that sheep from that man. Now, that man has nothing. And David said, let me see that man. I want to do something to him. I want to give him justice, no doubt. David wanted to kill him, and the prophet said, you are the man. It was you, David. Now, David's the king. He probably could have killed the prophet and he could have probably covered it up and he could have got away with it. But this is why David's a man uh, after God's own heart, because David decides to repent of his wrong doing. He loses the child because of his sin. But then he says this. He says, have mercy on me. David repents and this is what he's saying. I'm submitted to you. He even asked that the child not die but when the child dies he accepts God's will for his sin. He accepts the consequences of his actions. He gets up and he moves forward. He doesn't get angry at God like we do nowadays because he realizes that it wasn't God's fault. It was my fault and I'm submitted to him and when I get out of line I'm not so proud and arrogant that I get upset with God for reaping the consequences of my Actions. Drink and drive and get get mad at God when you get pulled over. <laughs> the baby sleep, sleep around and then get mad when you get pregnant. That's that's the kind of lives we live now. But David was not like David was submitted, and his heart said, God, when I failed you, he he knew his heart wasn't right because he looked to heaven and he said this, my heart's filthy. So I don't even want you to to even do anything with this one, creating me a clean heart and renewing me a right spirit. God, I want to be right. With you. We offer God our lives because Jesus gave his life in our place. We're not doing good and trying to do things because we feel the pressure of work salvation. We don't work for salvation. Christ has already worked for our salvation. But because he has, now we should be all in. We should have our life completely submitted. This is not a forced labor, but a loving submission to the king. Since Christ's sacrifice has provided freedom for all those who believe, we offer our lives in obedience and submission. I'm not doing it to get right with God. I'm living right because I'm grateful. I'm not living right to impress the pastor. I'm living right because I'm not getting what I deserve. I'm living right because when I live wrong, the Bible says that I crucify him afresh or I make light of his sacrifice. And I don't ever want Christ to think that the things he did for me didn't mean anything and I could just haphazardly live any old kind of way I wanted to. Have you ever been to somebody's house? where they had that room. I don't even know why you have a room that nobody can sit in, but they they had these silly rooms, and they would have the room, and nobody could sit in the room, and they had furniture. I don't know why, because it was covered in what? Plastic. Uh, You've been in that house, too. it has got in the the front room. Everybody goes there, and you look at it, but nobody could ever sit on that. Imagine somebody worked and spent all their hard-earned money for that, and you came in with muddy boots, and uh, took all the coverings off, and just started stepping on their couches, and doing all sorts of stuff, what would that say about your relationship or even your future Relationship with them—that's what we do when we continuously sin, and Christ has died to make us clean again. That's what we're saying. This is what I think of your sacrifice. This is what I think of your sacrifice. Why are you getting in beds? You ain't got no business getting in. This is what I think of your sacrifice. Why are you smoking stuff? You ain't got no business smoking. This is what I think of your sacrifice. Why are you over drinking and things that you ain't have no business drinking? It. This is what I think of your sacrifice. Why are you cussing out people and jumping around people and acting crazy? This is what I think of your sacrifice. When you're lazy and won't get up and come to church, I I said it, when you're lazy and won't get up and come to Bible class. When you're lazy and, and you're selfish and you won't give and you allow your local churches across America to struggle, what you're saying is this is what I think of your sacrifice. When you come and you have harder to give if you're on the praise team and you didn't listen to the song before before you got here and you you get here and you'd had a month of learning you still don't know it you know what you're saying this is what I think of your sacrifice whatever I give them would be good enough you're not giving it to them you're giving it to I help learn the music. That's why I was out here yesterday. Because then, I, my teacher and I was convicted that, that when I come here and I know I got a little gift and I could probably get over and they won't know whether I practice or not. And, uh, and, I, and they, they don't know. And, and I'll keep going. But when I do that, this is what I'm saying. This is what I think of your sacrifice. Oh, Jesus. So it's not out of forced labor it's out of loving submission to the king since Christ's sacrifice has provided freedom for all who believe we offer ourselves and we offer our lives in obedience and submission everybody say obedience, obedience. And, submission. and submission say it again obedience, obedience. And, submission. And, obedience. obedience. And, submission. and submission one more time obedience, obedience. And, submission. and submission pastor those are the same words no they're not <laughs> there was a young boy His mama told him to sit down. He wouldn't sit down. (laughs) She told him again, you better sit down. He said, I'm not sitting down. (laughs) She she picked up a frying pan and said, if you don't sit down, I'm going to knock you out. He sat down. He said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up in my heart. (laughs) That's how a lot of us are. We do the right things on the outside, but our heart still isn't submitted on the inside. Boy, Jesus. How do we honestly rate our obedience? That's a good question. How do we honestly rate? Our obedience to God to his will and to his work we should serve the Lord with as much passion and as much intensity and as much fervor as we had for our own desires when you were going to get your degree or when you were going to get your certifications to your job as much passion as you sought to get a promotion and a raise from that job you should be seeking to please God we shouldn't have to look for a thing in the world to ask you to do every need in the church should be taken care of because you have talented people in the church and if you can give your talent and and your gifts and your time to a secular job that can't give you nothing but a paycheck, surely you can serve the house of God. Who, Jesus? Is this helping anybody? If we can do it for our own desires and our own ambitions and our own pursuits, if we can sacrifice and get a degree, if we can sacrifice and and get a certification, if we can sacrifice and save to do some things and buy a bigger house and do all these things, I can sacrifice and live holy because holiness is a choice. (laughs) That's why he said be holy as I am holy. I'd hate to be sitting where you're sitting now. Because I was sitting there while I was reading this. And it wasn't comfortable when I was reading it. (laughs) It wasn't comfortable when I was preparing it. (laughs) And I know it's not comfortable for you hearing it. Because you're human just like me. (laughs) But it's the truth. Paul asked them. And verse 21, to review the fruits of their way of their life. If you don't believe me, Paul said, just look at the benefits. Let's see what verse 21 says. We're not going to be too much longer. Verse 21, we're near the end of the text. What does it say? Pull it up on the screen. He says this. Everybody cried that they had it on the screen. Everybody said, holiness Holiness is is a choice. Verse 21 says this. What does it say? What benefit did you reap at that time for the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Oh, Jesus. He's trying to get us to think about the long view and the long term. Somebody said long term. Long term. <laughs> Was it really worth it? Nope. How many of us, we were joking about this by holding up our hands. But how many of us have had our hands like this? Because it seemed like a good idea at the time. Mm -hmm. How many of us have taken trips to the clinic? Because it seemed like a good deal at the time. How many have taken trips to rehab or to divorce court or to marriage counselors? Because it seemed like a good idea at the time. Paul is saying, I'm asking you to live holy." But think about it. When you're living on your own, what good did it do you? What did you get from living long term how you wanted to live? Pounds that you don't need, blood pressure medicine and metformin that you don't need, loss of hair, loss of sleep, bags under your eyes, sickness, disease, divorce, broken relationships. Cancer, COPD, diabetes, all sorts of stuff. How did that work out when we did everything we want to do? Some people, they don't have a choice on some of those diseases. I'm not saying every disease we can avoid, but many of the things we cause ourselves. He's saying, what benefit did you reap from doing the things you were ashamed of? And if we be honest, we've all done some things we were ashamed of. Some of us just got caught, and some of us didn't. Some of us going to get caught if we don't stop. I ask you a question. Why not be submitted to Christ? Why not? Look at what your choices, our choices have gotten us. Why not try something different? Why not... Try complete and wholehearted submission. Why try half way? Why come to church every other Sunday? Why give every other week? Why pray every now and then? Why fast once in a while? Why don't you just humor me, humor God and try and give it all you got and be the best you can for him and give him everything you have? You've seen what he's saying. The other thing produces. So what do you have to lose? A few fake friends that are reaping the same benefits because y'all making the same choices. Paul tells us that the long-term benefits of following Christ will lead us both to a holy life and eternal life. Because verse 22 said, but now, everybody said, but now. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Hallelujah. Somebody should already be shouting, he tells you this, oh, Jesus, hallelujah. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Come here, Lath. Come here, Victor. Grab that Kleenex box. Now, I don't want hypotheticals. I just want you to be completely honest with me. There are two boxes that are going to be here. Two choices you can make. That's about a hundred dollars. Y'all stand side by side. Now, Everybody know what this is. I don't even have to tell you. I'm going to put it in this box. Everybody watching this box. Now, about $100 in here. Close to it. If not, if you made $20 an hour, it would take you five hours to make that. Less taxes, you get about $80. Now, you have a choice. You could take this work... And you could work for five hours, lose that five hours of your life and get this $100. Or you can take this box as a gift. You have to do absolutely nothing. But you get to keep the whole $100. You want that one? Victor a little slow. (laughs) (laughs) Show of hands. Victor Victor like hard labor. (laughs) He labors hard. But for the most of us, who picks the box with the money? Everybody. Why choose to work for something and get less when you can do nothing and get paid more? Pastor, why do you say that? Because he says, he doesn't say the gift of sin, he says the wages of sin. We earn death. Why would we choose death when he's given us life? You can go down. I asked you a question. Which box are you going to choose today? You can come on to her, huh? Jesus gives us the better deal. Why do we keep making the wrong choices? Since he's already died for us, we can receive this, and we get eternal life, and then we can get holiness to boot. If we live holy and pull off all of those things and read our Bibles and study and let the word of God work in our heart and go through prayer, he changes us into a different person, and our very relationships will be different. I'll leave you with this. When I was married, I, young, I was a hothead. Stuff would irritate me. I, I was the baby. I was the only person. And I would walk in the house. And I'm a neat freak. For those of you who know, when I see stuff out of place, it, it gets me. Just like you saw me like neatly stack these like symmetrically right there. I would do that every, every week. My wife would come home from work, and she was tired. And there was a table right there. And the first thing she would do, because she was tired and she had the baby and stuff, she would dump everything on that table, and she would keep walking, and I would walk in, and I would get furious, (laughs) And I said, why can't you walk 20 steps to the bathroom? Don't laugh at me because you do it too. You've done it too. That's 20 years ago. I'm not ashamed of it. Why can't you walk 20 steps to the, down here to the bedroom and put these things in? And I, I kept getting upset about it. And, and one day, the Lord spoke to my heart. I was saying, and, and I stopped asking why she kept putting it there. And I asked why it bothered me so much. I stopped focusing on her and started focusing on me. And you know what? When I stopped focusing on on, on getting, having those high decibel conversations, we'll say, (laughs) and I started being nice and, and I started changing the way I was talking, guess what? I would walk in and the stuff wasn't there. We create our own problems a lot of times because we focused on fixing other people and not ourselves. But if you fix yourself, how you interact with them may very well change. If you fix yourself, some of those problems you thought you had, you thought your boss didn't like you, your boss would like you, you're just late every day. This person didn't like you, but they like excellence, and you you have to do all yourself. But you can't see that because you're always looking out, never looking in. My question to you today is what do you do with all this? Do you leave and say that was a good sermon again, Pastor? But I'm not gonna do any of it. Or do you say, Maybe the word is right? Maybe I will give everything I have. Maybe I will try as hard as I can. Not to earn my salvation, but to show God how grateful I am. I can't earn my salvation. Like Pastor McClendon would say, I, if I had 10,000 tongues, there wouldn't be enough to tell them thank you, but there was another colloquialism. It said even if I couldn't say a word, i just wave my hand. If that's all I could do to say I was thank you, I would do it. What is it in our life? Can we all be honest and say we haven't been as committed to God as we need to be? We try, we falter, we're human. But if you know that's you today, I'd love for you to come to the altar. If you can't get to the altar, come to the front seat. Not for a show for us, but a show to God that I'm going all in. I'm going to give you more. This word may not be for everybody, but for those it's touching.